Welcome back to the Free by Design podcast. I'm your host, Evan Williams, and this is episode 20. Many skills and abilities can be developed over time. Like physical training, that particular ability becomes easier as you spend more time working on it. This, I feel, isn't the case with willpower. On today's episode, I'm going to discuss willpower in more detail. It's something that I've worked on and developed throughout my life. And I've come to the realization that willpower it doesn't work like this. But I've found that there are some clever hacks that can help to bring about successful outcomes. I've been using these hacks for quite a while, and I'm able to now rely on them to better handle habits in my life by overcoming different challenges. Recent articles that I've read describe willpower as being a finite resource that can be drained. In these articles, they also compare willpower to a muscle that gets fatigued in the short term but in the long term, it becomes stronger. I don't believe that this is the case. To me, it's more like a bucket that has a set capacity that can't increase, but yes, it can be drained. Which is why temptation is a constant struggle, at least for me it is. If you could strengthen it like a muscle, then you could work on it so much that temptation barely phases you, by that argument at least. So if someone told me that they achieved this level of willpower, there's no chance that I'd believe them. I also feel that willpower is an overly generalized term that when used, distracts us from what's actually happening. For example, when I'm at a restaurant and I see unhealthy food on the menu that I want, I'll quickly move to the next item on the menu to try to ignore it, find a different option, and then occupy myself with something like checking in on emails if you know I'm eating alone. So we could use willpower to paint what's happening here with a really broad brush and generally define the situation. Or we could specifically say that when faced with temptation, I'm actually pretty good at distracting myself, and it's not, it's not willpower. The weight of the temptation doesn't feel lighter to me. If willpower was a muscle, then the weight would become more manageable. This is just not the case, at least with me. Now, I do feel like you can become sex successful at avoiding temptations through self-discipline and awareness. As an example, if I were to return to that same restaurant, and I know from my first experience that the back of the menu has the unhealthy and tempting food, then I can be aware of that and employ self-discipline to not even look at that part of the menu. This is essentially trigger control. Seeing a picture or description of unhealthy food triggers me to want that food, so I remove the trigger and the unhealthy desire is then well-managed. This can be done with anything, really. Recently, when I decided to cut out coffee, I changed the route that I take every day to get to the co-working space. 
I changed my route because my favorite cafe is on that route. Walking by the cafe and smelling the coffee being made was a huge trigger for me. I didn't want to be tempted, so I made proactive decisions to set myself up for success. There's also a local restaurant here that brings you tortilla chips, salsa, and sugary drinks every time you order anything there, really. They have really healthy food other than that, but I found myself feeling gross after eating the chips and the drink. Since I go there often, in the moment when I finished eating and was feeling a little overindulged, I had a friendly conversation with the waiter and told him that I didn't want the additional chips and drinks going forward by default, even though I really enjoy them. They know me there and are such great people, and now the chips and drinks don't come out by default for me. But the temptation doesn't change. When I'm there with friends and chips are on the table, I still eat them. They're so good. <laughs> and, and when they're right there on the table, I give in to the urge. In another article that I read, studies have found that self-discipline is a key indicator of success. I couldn't agree more with this. It's described as one of the single most essential skills that we can perfect. I just want to drive that home. The single most essential skills that we can perfect in our life. It's even better than IQ when predicting how successful someone will be in school. But in my experience, it's not developed well enough during our early years. It's certainly not ignored in parenting and early education, but I feel if we all understood it better, then we could instill some additional, more developed life skills around self-discipline at an early age. Better understanding how strongly connected self-discipline is with successful outcomes in life is the first step. The second step is understanding the specific best practices for self-discipline. I certainly never had a lot of specific lessons on self-discipline in my early education. It would come up from time to time, but only in relation to another subject. It was never taught as a separate lesson onto itself. And if self-discipline is so closely connected with success then why wasn't it being taught as its own topic? It definitely should be. So I'd like to talk about this more because it's never too late to learn. I'm going to share a few self-discipline best practices that I've used in the past and found to be great life hacks. One of the most helpful practices for me has been learning to use barriers to my advantage. Okay, so... What's a barrier? Barriers are things that get in the way of you doing something else. A barrier sounds negative, and it can be, but it can also be very good. I actively add barriers to block me from my known bad habits, and I remove barriers from good habits. The skill here is understanding what a good barrier is. To identify a good barrier, you first need to identify what your triggers are. This is a challenge because you need to be really present and observant day to day to find these triggers. Some are really obvious, 
but others, they can be really subtle. I used this one in a prior episode, but a great example that of removing a barrier to a good habit is keeping your journal out with a pen right next to it. It promotes the good habit of journaling by removing the barrier of not having the tools that you need for the task. If the journal and pen were in a desk, out of sight, out of mind, then that would be a barrier, a small barrier, but still a barrier to the good habit of journaling. Another example is using grayscale color scheme on your phone. This is something that I do. My phone appears black and white, and it keeps me from overusing the phone because it's just not as fun when there's no color. (laughs) Seeing the phone like this also is an immediate reminder for myself that I don't want to use the phone so much. It's been an effective barrier that keeps me from the bad habit of spending too much time on my phone. I highly recommend it. So help yourself out. Be observant and present so that you can see the triggers in your life. Then proactively use barriers to increase the ease of completing good habits and decrease the likelihood of succumbing to bad habits. I do have to say that this practice has gotten harder for me once I started a more nomadic life. I found that the triggers are constantly changing with the new cities where I live, the rooms that I stay in, and the people that I meet. People can be triggers. One friend (laughs) makes it difficult to manage how often I go to restaurants, for example. Also, staying in short Airbnbs, I've lived in so many different types of rooms. I've really come to appreciate good room design over the the past few years. Rooms where the beds are right next to a power outlet actually make me more likely to use my phone as I can use it as it's charging while I'm in bed. That's not a good habit. And I actually prefer when I'm in a room and the outlet is on the other side of the room than the bed. Something else that works well for me is keeping things simple and achievable. I don't try to control too many habits at once. I'll focus on just a few. I'll get them to a point where the desired behavior becomes habitual. Then I'll move on. Focus on small changes. Trying to summit the mountain on day one will be so overwhelming. So just try to get to the start of the trail first. Then use the momentum that you have to get where you want to go. Make things easier, not more difficult. It's gotta be sustainable. I'll also try my best not to beat myself up when I fail because failing is bound to happen. Changing behaviors that are sometimes deep-rooted can be a huge challenge and failure is just even more likely at that point. If you deviate from a desired behavior or change Don't perceive it as the house completely collapsing. It's just a minor blemish. Keep it in perspective and don't self-destruct. If you fill the experience with intense negativity, then you'll want to avoid it. Don't avoid it. Embrace it. Understand what happened and why it happened. Was it a trigger? Figure it all out. Address what needs to be addressed and then move forward, better prepared for the future. 
In the past two years, I have built up a habit of somewhat regular fasting. It was a very challenging thing to incorporate into my life at first. And from time to time, it still is quite difficult to maintain. But there have been so many benefits. It's been a great simple living and minimalistic practice for me. I've learned so much about myself, and it's changed my perspective on some things as well. So it ties in with this topic on this episode, but I want to share more about it. So I'll definitely add uh, a future episode all about fasting because I find it really fascinating. Anyway, in closing, I want to talk about intentions. Before you start making changes with behaviors, make sure that you're intentional about your habits. Ask yourself a few key questions before you start. Ask yourself, what's not currently working for me and why? This question will force you to reflect on your feelings. If you feel off, then maybe you're missing a good habit or there's a bad habit that's negatively impacting your life. This question will also help you to identify possible triggers. The why with this question should organically tie back into your core values. If there's a behavior that goes against your core values, then you'll feel it, no doubt. Another question is, should I change my expectations or am I being too hard on myself? This is a great one for me. I have a tendency to be very hard on myself. So I find it very useful to do a gut check. Does this actually tie back to a core value of mine? Or am I just being hard on myself? We often forget to show compassion for ourselves. We often show it for others, but we neglect ourselves sometimes. This question helps remind me to do that. I've actually altered my expectations in the past just by asking myself this question. It feels really strange at first, but in the long term, it feels so freeing and liberating. Another question is, what does success look like for me in the end? And why is that success? Should I change my definition of what successful is? This is a really great question because it forces you to consider what metric you're using to define success. What's it driven by? If it's not rooted in your core values, then the end result may not be genuinely success successful for you. If so, then perhaps you should change your definition of what a successful outcome actually is. Another question is, are you applying conventional expectations to your definition of successful? Or are you negatively being influenced by other people's expectations? This is a question that hits close to home for me. We always compare ourselves with others in the conventional way. It's hard not to do this. Asking this question will hopefully help to identify if or when you are using these unrealistic expectations to guide your actions. I have a strong desire to please others, and I think a lot of people do have this, this feeling as well. I often check in with myself on this by telling, telling myself, if the people in my life 
truly love me, then they'll want me to be the happiest and best that I can be. To achieve that, I need to be true to my own core values and expectations, not their expectations or the conventional expectations. Be your own amazing self. Overall, make sure any change is coming from a place of positivity, self-development, or growth. And if you do move forward with change, then finally ask yourself if you'll add undue stress either to yourself or to others in your life. If the change is absolutely necessary and it is going to add stress, then consider how you may be able to minimize the impact on yourself and or others. Be compassionate, and as always, keep cutting the noise and make room for what's essential. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please follow or subscribe to my podcast. Please also comment or leave a review. You can also follow me on Instagram under Free by Design channel.